Good morning. Um, hey, it's great to be with you. I got uh, Carrie and I were out west uh, last weekend with family, and so coming back and seeing the Easter, Easter lilies, happy Easter. Sorry that we missed you all. He is risen. Hallelujah. It's good to be together. It's a great season. And as you can see, we're starting a new series here as well, As She Goes. And I have to admit and confess that this one's a bit personal to me. I've got two sisters. Why'd you do this to me? I've got two sisters. One of my sisters has really walked away from the church. We have a great relationship, so don't hear that that part of it's broken, but she's walked away from the church. And as we've talked about over the years, growing up, and she and I were in the same settings, um, she never saw a place for her in the church. Never saw a place for her in the church. And that's not from a service standpoint. That's about being loved by Jesus. That's what she experienced. And so gathering this morning, hearing the worship, ain't no grave. I mean, that, uh, amen. We got, we're bringing it today. I mean, this is, the spirit is present and we got a word to share today and the Lord is with us. So this one's a bit personal. So we're going to talk about some of the narratives in the scriptures that the Lord uses women to lead, to support, to direct, to save, to convey his message in amazing ways. Now, that intro, that, that bumper video there was, um, that's good, you know, really good stuff. It really brings, we got people from the congregation gathered. It's, it's really, really a lovely setting of what's going on today in this family, which I think reflects much and many other gathering families in the name of Christ like, like we are today. But I have the joy of again taking us back to the Old Testament, and there's a bit of a, well, let's see how it goes. So we're, we're looking at Deborah, and Deborah, if you think about the Old Testament where you have the nation of Israel and their history, and Moses takes them out in the Exodus and everything, and then you've got Joshua, who was the next one that kind of led the people, and then Joshua dies, and Israel's in a bad way because sin continues to have its hold on them. The Lord appoints judges, those who will specifically help direct the activities of the nation of Israel. And one of those judges is a gal by the name of Deborah. And so today in Judges 4 and 5, we're going to hear about Deborah's story and Deborah's activity with regards to the nation of Israel. And then we're going to spend a bit of time, as you are probably getting used to me doing, trying to understand what is that context like. Right, So we're going to see, admit where we are today as far as how our life is, but then try to understand what would have been occurring back so many, many years ago in the nation of Israel. So let's listen to this uh, section here of scripture from, from Judges 4 and 5. After Ehud died, Israel once again sinned against God. So the Lord sold them to a Canaanite king. This king ruled over them for 20 years. He was harsh and cruel. His army had 900 iron chariots, and his commander's name was Sisera. The person who judged Israel at the time was a prophet named Deborah. When the people had problems among themselves, they went to a place called the Palm Tree of Deborah. She would sit there and hear their complaints and then settle their disagreements. One day she called for a man named Barak and said to him, The Lord has a message for you, he says. Take 10,000 men and go to Mount Tabor. I'll cause Sisera to come with you with his chariots and his army. He'll come to fight you, but I'll give him to you. Barak said to Deborah, I'll go and do as the Lord says, 
but only if you go with me. If you don't go, I won't go. She said, I'll go with you, but if I do, you won't get the credit for killing Sisera. The Lord will give that honor to a woman. Barak agreed, so Deborah went with him. Barak gathered 10,000 men and went up to Mount Tabor. Sisera heard about this, so he took his 900 chariots and his army and headed toward Mount Tabor. Deborah said to Barak, Now's the time. Take your men and attack Sisera. So Barak moved his men down the mountain and attacked the Canaanite army. The Lord was with him and caused Sisera's men to be confused. They turned and ran. When Sisera saw this, he left his chariot and tried to escape on foot. Barak chased the army until every man was killed. Sisera ran until he came to the tent of Jael. Her husband was in alliance with the Canaanite king. She saw Sisera coming, and so she went out and said, Come in here and you'll be safe. He went in and she hid him under a rug. He said, Please, give me water to drink. She gave him milk, and he sat up and drank it. He said, Stand at the door of the tent. If anyone asks if there is a man in here, tell them no. She then covered him again, and since he was exhausted, he fell into a deep sleep. Jael went and got a tent peg and a hammer. She quietly knelt down next to Sisera and put the tent peg on the temple of his head. Then, with solid blows, she nailed it through his head and into the ground. Soon, Barak came by her tent in search of Sisera. She went out and said, Come, and I'll show you the man that you're looking for. Barak went into her tent and saw Sisera lying dead on the floor with a tent peg through his temple. Israel continued to fight the Canaanite king until they were victorious. Then they lived in peace for 40 years. So we have this wonderful, you know, surrounded by the Easter lilies and this video about as she goes and, and kids and, and women of all ages leading in their home. Here's our text, right? Deborah, who was there as a judge, and Israel again has done evil in the sight of the Lord. They call out to the Lord, and what does the Lord do? He says, tells Deborah, who's the prophet, who's conveying the word, go, and then we will take 10,000 soldiers and we'll go slaughter the Canaanites, which they do. I hope you notice that when, she's, when uh, Deborah is telling this, that, that we're being told that this victory will be at the hands of the Lord, uh, hands of a woman, which in that context is a bit unique, I think, right, given, given the history. But yet they go, they slaughter. Sisera, the, the commander of the Canaanites, runs off. And the way we have here, jail puts a tent peg and hammers it through his temple, and he dies. So there you go. Happy Easter, right? Well, I mean, what, what a contrast of this lovely video we have compared to the slaughter that occurs back in the Old Testament. So we just have to admit it, that it's a different time than we find ourselves in today, isn't it? But yet we still need to figure out what does this mean for us? How do we deal with what the Lord's instruction was back then? Because there are some connections, and I've tried to extract a few of these. I'm not suggesting that Israelites run out and, and put together an army, nor do we do anything with a tent stake through anybody's head, right? So we can't just pull this out and say, this is what worked for Deborah. We've got to go do it here in Houston. So just to be clear, don't do that. But yet, we need to figure out what is the Lord telling us here? What is going on? And I think it's actually captured pretty well in this, this, this phrase here about as she goes, right? So we have to admit, what, what are the roles, what are the callings that Deborah has? Well, Deborah clearly from this text is, first of all, as Deborah goes, she's a prophet. 
we're told that, and that has a unique role that is unique to her. And in this case, she also turns into a warrior. So Deborah is both a prophet and a warrior leading the Israelites into battle to bring this victory. So we can roll through the slides here. So this is the first one that we want to pay attention to, is that this is the nature of, for Deborah in that time and in that place, the role that she is providing, unique to her. So first and foremost, we have to admit, this is a tremendous position. Dare I say, the one in which the Lord actually brings salvation to God's people at this time and in this place. Keep in mind how we must and should read the Old Testament. You've got the nation of Israel, God's chosen people who live among all the other nation, all the other near, uh, the, the religions, the nations at the time and place, and God's people, Israel, are uniquely set aside to be his people. He is physically with them in his presence, and this has been their history, and everybody knows it. So whether you're an Israelite or not, they know who God's people are on this earth. They're those Israelites, the Jews. They're the ones that the God, whoever that is, that's his people. So they know it. So we have to admit that the first thing that we should read the Old Testament for is just watching how God's salvation occurs in the very physical, narrative sense of God's people. And that's what's going on here is that you have Deborah being who she is, who she's been called to uniquely be in this time and this setting. We don't know a whole lot about her otherwise, to be fair. Uh, the scriptures don't tell us um, how she came to be, how long, but do, we do kind of know what the content of her days were. So in this setting, this is what she's doing for Israel. Now, the fun thing apart, which we didn't hear that, is that the next chapter in Judges, Judges 5, is a song that is sang, which is consistent with a lot of these activities. If something great happens, they sing a song, and this is one about, about Deborah that the nation of Israel gathers around. And particularly in one of these verses, verse uh, Judges 5, verse 7, what we're told is that as the song goes, this is the lyrics, there were few people left in the village of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. This is how the people of Israel saw her role being with them, leading them, caring for them as a mother. Now, we can take this prophet warrior, but when Israel themselves call her their mother, that's pretty significant. I think that we should, with that, then go back and hearken, what would that mean? I mean, we've got mothers today. Whether you've got any kids, or married, or a spouse, or brothers or sisters, we all have a mother. And that's been true for all of human history. And that would harken back to Adam and Eve, especially for the Israelites. Their own story, the story of God's people and God's creation and how they came to be. This word mother conveys a lot, and it's a word that we still use today, right? Because again, no matter who you are, you have a mother. No matter what that relationship is or is not, you have a mother. One of the things that I think we try to make, we should be making these connections today, is about these roles and callings or vocations we could talk about, which again, Deborah's was unique and specific at that time and that place, and so too are each one of you and me. We have specific callings, vocations, things that we've been given to. Some of our own decision, Right? Maybe a job, maybe a house, a neighborhood we move into. 
but many not of our own decision. You know, if, if, if you're married and you've, you have children, well, well, God gave those children to you. If you're not married, well, you haven't had that occasion yet. If maybe you're married and you've wanted kids and you weren't able to have kids, there's just a whole lot going on there. And so I think that's one of these areas we just need to sit a bit and try to think about Think about what the Lord is saying about how he uses his people. In this area, i got to tell you, this is one, this, this word mother, which again hits close to home. Not for my own mom, whom, whom is alive still and, and good relationship, but for my wife, who is the mother of my children. See, and I'm going to share again what, what we tend to know um, about ourselves. So as my wife goes, mother is one of these things that is really compelling for her, and thank God for that. We, Carrie and I, chose, she was, when we first married, we were married quite young, 20 and 21, and she was working toward a nursing degree, and we decided at the time, which was like 20, like two years, three years after that, let's see if, if, if we can start a family. And for better or for worse, the Lord said yes, and we got pregnant pretty quickly, and, and not long after that, we had another child. And so here we are at, or mid mid-twenties with two kids and doing what we do, getting after, chasing the game and whatever it takes, right? Raising our kids. And Carrie loved being a mother and was, was wonderful at it. She was, and we were fortunate enough because we started having kids at a young age that uh, she stayed home with our kids. We didn't have any money, and so she was working and probably go to childcare, and so we just had to manage with what we had. And again, she was able to stay home. Um, this is just how it worked out for us as we made the best decisions we can at the time. And that was where we were for many years. And some of you know our history better than others, but that then prompted a, eventually a, a career change. We left the industry completely, went to St. Louis and studied at the seminary. And then we were a full-time pastor and pastor's wife and kids for a while. And then we left that, St. Louis, Wisconsin, back to California. And then in California, I'm back in the business world where I am today. And we have the situation then of moving to Houston for work the year that my youngest, our youngest, our daughter had graduated from high school. So just the two of us, and, and as we're then loading up the van, the moving truck to drive to Houston from California, where we have all of our family around us, you know, you've got, you've got Rob and me, woohoo, empty nesters, and my wife just sobbing because she'd been mom for 20 years. And as a typical man, I completely underestimated how significant that was. And it would have, I mean, let's be fair, it would have been a transition even if we would have stayed in California, right? Because that was a different season for us. But it, it certainly, it, it didn't make it any easier by moving two time zones away <laughs> at the same time. But, but this began then, I think it, it, it began to really demonstrate the struggle that Carrie had as a mom, as a mother. And the reason why I say that is that as long as she had the kids in the home, they're always kind of there and working in play groups and different stuff, it was an active role. And as we met people, as we met people like through my career or through the industry, there weren't the questions so much of, oh, what do you do? And Carrie's response was, well, I'm a mom. No, I mean, what's your degree? What's your job? What? Maybe you've heard or experienced this. I mean, no, what do you do? No, I'm, I take care of my kids and my husband and we have a family and well, I understand that but what about Monday through Friday that's what I do well what what'd you get your degree in before you stayed home with the kids no I, I didn't finish school um, I'm a mom and that was always there as we talked about it 
But then as we then came to Houston, where we didn't have the kids, and Carrie had a bit more time on her hands, to be fair, it became a lot more acute. A lot more, as then she had more freedom to come with me on, on, say, work outings or meetings or meeting people in the neighborhood, whatever it was. And definitely you come to a new community and you start then meeting a lot of people, like people here, right? We've been here at Oikos for a few years now, still meeting some people, still have people to meet. But that conversation becomes a lot more difficult. And Carrie will share, and she, you're willing, willingly ask her, that was a really, really tough time, and it continues to be a struggle about identity for her. Because the world says, no, being a stay-at-home mom is not sufficient enough to justify your value in this world. And here we get at some of the crux of the change. In Israel's time, to call Deborah a mother was the highest compliment possible. It conveyed everything she had done for God's people. To nurture, to care, to save, to bring salvation, to bring the Lord back into their midst and reconnect them with their creator. Today, being a mother probably isn't held in quite as high esteem. To be fair, maybe. No, if you're a mother and this and you're this and you're this, well, that, that works. This is specific to Carrie. But as Carrie goes, as she goes through this life, she's still a mom. And she still struggles and is going to struggle with these kinds of, of questions, these kinds of how do I respond, these kinds of identity based on what the world is demanding versus what she and we have chosen to do, but also what the Lord has given her. Right? We could have tried to have kids many years ago, and if the Lord said no, well, there would have been other options. I, I trust some of you have gone through that exact struggle and maybe adopted or done different things or, or maybe just haven't had kids. I mean, who's to say? This is specific to Carrie and to Carrie and me. I hope you're getting a little bit of the conversation this morning. What I mean by that, we go from the Old Testament and Deborah, which is a long time ago, a long different setting with people driving stakes through people's heads <laughs> for, to do the right thing, to today trying to figure out what this means for us, right? I think there's some other, some other conversations, comments we can have, because this discussion of as she goes specific to the women among us, is a good one to have about how God works. But it's also bigger and smaller all at the same time. Here's what I mean by that. Let's go. I'm not going to read all of these. I know uh, we tried to put them up there, but there was text, this section of Judges. Israel, there's, there's a certain pattern, which maybe we can resonate. There's a certain pattern of sin, rebellion, right? We're told at least five times in the first six chapters of Judges, Israel did evil sight of the Lord. It is just, just scan through there sometime, right? And every time this happened, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they're in bondage for 20, 40 years, and they finally cry out for the Lord to save them, and he does. Oh, here we are the next week. It's kind of like a soap opera, actually. Here we are the next week. 
They do evil in the sight of the Lord. They chase after the, Bra- the Baals, the Asherah poles, all kinds of stuff. All those other gods that are among them, that's who they run after to be like what the world tells them they should be doing, rather than being content with their God who is with them. Hmm. Sin has its way, doesn't it? We're told over and over and over again how Israel takes their focus off the Lord. It's not too dissimilar to today. And in that time and in that place, God is doing things the way God does in that context. And that is to say, every time, every time, when they cry out, he comes near and he saves. Whenever they take their focus off the Lord and they end up doing something else and they're wandering away, eventually the result of that life becomes really painful. <laughs> it becomes really damaging. It becomes really hard. And they, they cry out. And sometimes it's a whole generation, to be fair. This is, this is where the generation that knew the Lord has then now died off, and the next generation says, no, we kind of like that option over there. And then they get the result of that option, and then, you know, obviously God hears them when they cry out for him. And in every case, just like he did with Deborah, he saves. God saves. At its core, whether it's then or now, it's about a relationship with the Lord. It's about a following. It's about a discipling. It's about a teaching. It's about a lifestyle, which obviously we have the best teacher of all, and that's who he celebrated his resurrection just last weekend. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus himself says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way Take up your cross and follow me. Now, I suspect most of us in the room have heard this before. Yes? Is that new for anybody? if, If you say yes, I would love you for it because I love honesty. If that's new for anybody, glad you're here. This is what Jesus' message is. It's no different than what it was for the Israelites and God's message. Just just be my people. I'll take care of you. I've made a promise. To you, my promises are always trustworthy and fulfilled. Just be my people. Just follow me. Jesus says the same thing to us today. If any of you wants to be my follower, my disciple, my friend, deny yourself. Don't be worried about yourself. Follow me. How's that going? Yeah. Yeah, there's the struggle, right? There's the struggle. We hear it. We know it. We want it. In our best of time, I mean, this morning, worship's been phenomenal. I, I've, you hear the, the, the songs, and it's like, oh, gosh, Lord, just, just, just be here. I mean, I just, I don't know, if you thought about last weekend, maybe that was the last Easter we're going to celebrate? I mean, do you think expectantly that Jesus could return in the next year? Do you pray for it? That's the promise, folks. That's the hope we live in. That's the fulfillment that God has promised that we're waiting for. That in Christ, we have everything available to us today. Just not quite yet. 
right? We're waiting for Christ to return. In the meantime, Jesus says, follow me. Now, again, I'm going to admit, here we are 2,000 years ago when Jesus said that to those that were gathered in his presence, his disciples and followers. So here we are now 2,000 years later, and we've got to figure out what that means, what that looks like. I'm going to go back for us to this discussion of, of vocation, of callings. I think it's actually quite active. Uh, we also maybe have heard what is the greatest command? Love the Lord God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. I trust that through the Spirit of God, I love the Lord as best I can because I know how messed up I am. Fair, sometimes that's tough for me to gauge. You know, I, I know that when we gather today, we don't have the supper to share, but when we have the supper or baptism, I recall my, my baptism, I know that's God's, God's promise to me, saying, I forgive you, Rob. I, I know you're doing the best you can. I, I give you my spirit once again so that you know that you're my child, that you, that you know and that, and that you grow in that understanding, you grow in that awareness and sensitivity as you're making decisions in life, that they're more consistent with a follower of me than a follower of the world. I know that you're where you want to be, but then I still ask questions. I still wonder, what else can I do, Lord? And I think this is where, as we talk about love the Lord your God, that's a gift from God. He grants us his spirit. Amen? Loving my neighbor, I can have a lot more active role in that participation. A lot more active role in that participation. And get direct feedback. Whether I like it or not. <laughs> Whether I know them or not, they're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. My wife is my neighbor. Our children are our neighbors. And so in many ways, the conversation for Carrie and me through the struggle I talked about, about identity in Christ, is that, is that hon, you, you're, you're the, the exact mother that these kids need, whether they're 2 and 4 or 22 and 24. You're exactly what the Lord has given that they need, so just rest in that. Just, just be there. Just, they'll tell you what they need. They'll tell you when they need some help, and you'll know it as their mom. You carried them. I didn't. There's a certain sensitivity that goes with that. So trust in that. So, so there are activities that each of us have uniquely given by God that we can serve, that we can be active in. I'm not going to give you a list of 10 things to be a better husband today. Sorry. I know that might be easier, because then you can say, check, check, nah, working on that one, check, check, check. It doesn't work that way. Sorry. At least from God's perspective, it doesn't work that way. Now, there are behaviors. We would had a sermon about adultery a few weeks back. Don't commit adultery. It just tends to go better. Maybe that's a bumper sticker. Don't commit adultery, right? It, it tends to go better. Right? It's just the way it works. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't kill. Right? These kinds of things, they just tend to go better. But I want us to stop today and really think about the areas that you're serving in. All the roles of life. Because the last one here, this is it. I know this is as she goes, but as Jesus goes really is what our focus is today. Because I find that in world in the church, I hope you can see from Jesus' own behavior and activity that who did he spend time with? Who did he surround himself with? 
sinners, adulterers, lepers, blind, deaf, all of those that society in his time considered were the worst of the worst, were cast aside to not be engaged with or talked with or served. That's where you find Jesus. Today, I'm not saying that you need to run off and be a missionary in Africa or Guatemala. You don't have to be. If that's what the Lord puts on your heart and you choose to do, great. But there are places right in your home when you walk out these doors today that you can go and be a follower of Jesus. This isn't something to say, okay, Jesus, what should I do right here? What should I do right now? It's very, very practical, folks. As I've said before, and I'll say again, I know what I should do every day because my wife tells me. That's not being, I mean, I, it's funny, I, I say that to her as well, but it's not because I'm trying to be funny. It's like, I do know. If God has given me to her and Carrie says, Rob, can you take out the trash? The answer should, should be yes. Rob, can we, yes, yes, well, not right now, let's get, well, let's talk about it. That's a partnership here, right? And these are all of the relationships. I talk about my wife because we've been married for almost 28 years, and so I can probably poke at her a bit more, but there's other folks in this room that I have relationships with, and there's folks in this room that you have relationships with one another, some much more in, intimate and involved, and others just more casual. And there's, when you get out of this room, there are people that you don't know that you can love and serve. They may ask, they may not ask. If you see someone in the market that needs some help, stop, help them, whether you know them or not. This is what it means to follow Jesus, because we're able to do freedom, a freedom that allows us to serve others completely without regard of what it means for us. Completely without worrying what my payoff will be. Your payoff is, is secure. That is life eternal with Christ. What more is there? So we can go and freely get after the things of life, whether that is a parent, whether that is a worker, or a neighbor, or a daughter, a grandson, granddaughter, a grandparent, a recovering addict, addiction to sex, drugs, an adulterer, uh, formerly in jail. I, whatever it is, folks, God knows. And he came to save you from it, to be with you in it. I'll be the first one to admit that I've got messed up life because I know how sinful I am. I work on it every day, and I pray to the Lord every day, and I'm remind, reminded of my own salvation in Christ and that before I could ever love the Lord, he loved me first, and thus I have the joy to serve those around me. So as Jesus goes, so shall I. This is good. You guys are all, like, engaged today. I, I should just keep, we're not having any, any communion day, so I can keep on going for a while, can't I? Now, it was, this morning, um, as I said coming in, it really was a, a personal conversation for me. Because I think that in too many parts of the church, we either tend to be full of judgment, we tend to speak really loudly, we tend to not listen very well. We tend to not go associate with those that are different than us. We tend to stay away from the parts of town that might be unsafe. 
We tend to make decisions that put ourselves into a, a financial, an emotional, a moral uh, complication. But I think the lesson from what Deborah do, does in, in her time and her place, how the Lord uses her and how Israel recognizes what her role was for them reflects on us today. As we follow Jesus, we have the freedom to do it completely without regard to consequence, to love our neighbor, to serve those around us, to develop relationships so that when we're the ones that need the help, because I just can't do it, Rob, I can't do what you're asking of me. I don't feel well enough. I don't feel strong enough. I'm too tired. I can't do that. I, I don't, I don't want to see anybody. I'm, I, you're lucky I even got here this morning. If that's an honest response today, I'm glad you're here. Ask for help. Jesus came to create a community, a family, a body, which is his, in which we all share. God's one spirit binds us all together, no matter where we've come from or where we're going, no matter what our history is, no matter what our race is, no matter what anything is, it's one body for all of eternity. And we will celebrate that in his return. But in this time and in this place, we have the opportunity to just try to live that out a little better today. And maybe a little better tomorrow. Recognizing when I say better, that's just living in faith. That doesn't mean you have more money in your checking account. It doesn't mean you got the promotion. It means we live a life of repentance and faith. That's what God that's what God's ultimate desire is that you, you would be connected with him. The same struggle that Israel went up and down, up and down, sin before the Lord, help us Lord, he saves them, we have it today on a bit more of an individual basis. But it's the same condition, the same struggle. And God has given you this family to get plugged in with. If you don't know how to do that, ask. We could probably help. If you're scared about that, share that with somebody. We're going to take some time here in a few minutes and actually maybe pray about it. We'll pray as a body, but there'll be some people standing around the room to pray with you individually. Folks, here again, the Lord knows what's going on in your heart. He knows. The Lord knows all those things that you can't even share. He knows. And he came precisely for you because of that. And he brought you here in this place today because of that. So don't be shy. Don't worry what someone else is thinking. Just stand up. Walk. Talk. If it's not today, maybe it's next week. Maybe it's next month. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is for you. I'd love to know. If you want to share, I'd love to hear. I know there'd be others that would love to hear as well. And we'll be standing around the room. So, so we're starting this series. Um, as she goes. We're going to be talking about women in the scriptures, but whether you're a woman or not, the story ultimately becomes the same. And that is to say that we're followers of Jesus and he defines who we are. And that's the struggle. We've got to figure out how that works out, but we're in this together until Christ returns. Amen? Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we, um, we come to you today as people 
who are full of excitement and full of hope and yet scared to death. We're just a week away from the Easter celebration and we know that in that we have the promise, the hope, the, the reality that is ours, that in Christ there is life eternal. And that gives us hope. But yet we live in this place at this time with the real concerns of work and family and finances and, and politics and, and all kinds of stuff that you can see all over the news, Father. And those things, they take hold of us. They grab us and they weight us down. Or they send us forward chasing things that aren't important to you. Father, no matter what it is today, help us to rest in Christ, knowing that he is more than enough for each and every situation. Help us to rest in Christ in a way that we are willing to speak and ask for help. Help us to rest in Christ so that we are able to see those around us, our neighbors, our loved ones, those strangers that are in need, in a way that we can follow Jesus and be there and be present to serve and love them. Father, you're a loving God, and we know that, but in so, in so many ways, we hear and we experience and receive hate, and sometimes we cast it out ourselves. Forgive us, Father. Grant us a spirit of unity. Grant us a spirit of, of love, of forgiveness. Help us, Father, to readily repent of our own struggles and sins. Father, help us to acknowledge who you are in our life in each and every situation so that in doing so, we might have the occasion to just share the hope we have in you, to share our history in you, to share forgiveness which is in you, not so that it would bring glory to us, but that in each and every situation, to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.